I stalk you guys on social media. I'm very, very proud of the leaders here and everything that God is doing for you guys. And I'm rooting for you uh, all the way from my home in the Rockaways and our church in Astoria, Queens. And so let's go straight to scripture. We're going to be reading a couple of verses, one in John, two in the book of Acts. We'll pray and we'll dive in. John, the 14th chapter, verse 15 to 17, Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 2, 17, the apostle Peter says, In, these last, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege it is that we get to gather around your word, and we do so as your people have done for, Lord, since the beginning of your church and in places like this, to glorify you, to know you, to worship you. And we surrender this time to you. We come with expectant hearts. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? Would you anoint our hearts and minds that we would fully receive all you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy doing is talking to non-Christians. I actually been praying and hoping that several of you in this audience would be non-Christians, people that don't follow Jesus. Because I love to hear their thoughts, why they don't follow Jesus. I know perfectly well that it's possible to live a life that's not centered on Jesus. I did it for quite some time. I gave my life to Christ when I was 14. And so for the first 14 years of my life, God was not at the center of my life. So I know it's possible to live a life without God being at the center. But now, many years later, I actually don't understand why you would want to. Um, and so I get curious. I want to hear their rationale. I want to understand what's your argument? What's the thing that's stopping you from believing and trusting and following this glorious Jesus? And so in those conversations, often I get asked this one question, what's the Bible all about? It's like that book is mysterious. I don't understand it. What, what does it mean? And so I've searched for ways to communicate succinctly what scripture is about. And I came across this quote from this man named Richard Foster. He's written some incredible books, Celebration of Discipline and others. And he said that the Bible, from cover to cover, in essence, is God saying, I'm with you. Will you be with me? I'm with you. Will you be with me? If you open the pages of scripture, you're... That those words will actually really penetrate your heart and mind to realize that God is with us despite us. In fact, if you take some time this week and read the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, you'll come across some startling words of Jesus that actually tell us the extent to which God is with us. It's these parables that Jesus tries to communicate what's the Gospel. 
And in those parables, we see that the ways that God is with us in our brokenness are absolutely remarkable. He waits for us to come home when we stray. He seeks us out when we're lost. When we meet him in our brokenness, he covers us in his righteousness. He's with us in glorious ways. But there's something significant in the story of Scripture that if we could say that the story of Scripture is saying, I'm with you, will you be with me? There's a turning point in that story where all of a sudden it goes from I'm with you to I'm in you. That turning point is a day we celebrated a few weeks ago, Pentecost Sunday. On that day, the narrative of God went from I'm with you, so now I want to be in you. In fact, Jesus foretold this day. We read the verse in John 14, verse 17. It says, the spirit is truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In fact, the verses that we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, you may not know the significance of it, but it's utterly remarkable what happened on the day of Pentecost. In, in verse 17, Peter says, In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. What you and I have to understand that prior to the day of Pentecost, if you study scripture, the Holy Spirit only rested on kings and prophets. And they were all male. There's only a few instances where women were actually anointed with the spirit in scripture. But this day that we just celebrated was a new period in history where God says, on that day, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters, your servants even, your male and female servants. On the day of Pentecost, God went from being with us to being in us. And when he did that, he broke down every barrier, every class, every gender differentiation in terms of I will use everyone. I will distinguish. I will be in all who would call on me. He's now in us. Why is that important? Because perhaps you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. I think it's really important for you to know what you're presently saying no to. What you're saying no to is not an invitation to believe in God cognitively and just check off a list. I believe this. I believe that. What you're saying no to is the living God living inside of you. The Christian faith is not just some mental exercise. No, you don't just believe in God. You get to inhabit God. God begins to dwell in you. The essence of our faith is the living God living inside of formerly dead people. See, the Christian faith is not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. And when God comes and steps inside of us, we come alive and His Spirit inhabits us. Because do you, you realize that apart from God living inside of us, Christianity is impossible. Impossible. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, This is impossible. If someone asks you about your faith, you say, I believe and live out something that's impossible. It's like, how do you do it? Because God lives in you. But if you're a Christian today, it's important for you to know what you and I signed up for. 
You signed up for the living God living inside of you. That's totally different than any other faith system in this world. See, how many know the difference between someone that visits your house versus someone that lives in your house? How many people have visitors that you say, uh, when are you going home? You don't know, right? Because they're there, they're not part of your rhythm, you're like, yeah, that isn't home a great place? Why don't you return there? But when someone lives in your house, they have rights. They have audacity. My kids don't ask for permission to open the fridge. They don't ask for permission to do things. It's their home. See, for some of us, we think God still has to ask permission for what he can do in our lives. Because we still think he visits rather than he lives. On Pentecost Sunday, he says, I'm going to live inside of you. When you believe in my son, it's a radically different invitation to what I'm inviting you into. I want to live inside of you. And that changes everything. What does it change? For one, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says some amazing things that happens as the Spirit lives in us. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is describing there is that by virtue of the Spirit living inside of us, we now have the resources, the power, the ability to push back and counteract what he calls the flesh. That scriptural talk for sinful nature. The inclinations of our hearts that are constantly bent away from God. Do you realize that the moment you took your first breath, from that very moment, your life was on a trajectory to constantly push God out of the center? You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You don't have to teach human beings to, to take the paths that we do. It's in us. And for our whole lives, we are incapable and powerless to do anything about it. Until the moment that we put our faith in Jesus and then now the Spirit lives inside of us. Now, what Paul says that we have the power to walk by the Spirit. And by virtue of that, we can now push against this thing called the flesh. Amen. This is amazing. This is the most hopeful good news that you and I can ever possibly have. To know that the Christian faith is impossible to do, but it's possible because the Spirit lives in us. Because of him. And a lot of us, we haven't fully let that sink in. And as a result, we are stressing ourselves out trying to do this in our own power. I heard this cute little story of a fly that got caught in a 747. And they closed the door. And now all of a sudden, the plane is on the runway and it's beginning to take off. And this little fly is buzzing around. And it gets the petrified thought that if it stops flying, this plane is going to crash. And that little fly going across the Atlantic almost broke its little wings because it just kept flapping. Because it thought, if I stop flying, all of a sudden this plane is going to crash. 
Now you and I know the insanity of that thought. The fly flying is not keeping the plane up. But that actually is how some of us live. We think it's us flapping harder and trying harder and exerting more and our willpower. No, Paul says it's the spirit living in us that allows us to push back against the flesh and actually empowers us to walk out the ways of Jesus. Paul says this next in verse 22 to 26, some incredibly hopeful things. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Paul paints this picture that he says because of the Spirit living inside of us, now what's possible is that the Spirit over time bears in you and I Christ-like character. The purpose of God inhabiting you and I is not to just come along for the ride as we just modify our behavior. The purpose of God for the Spirit to live inside of us is that over time, He changes our character. How many when we read those, those words, love, joy, peace, Forbearance. How many could say, I need help in like one of those? How many could say, I could sign up for the whole list? <laughs> yeah, I don't I typically don't know the extent of how much I need the fruit of the spirit until I'm interacting with my three-year-old for several hours. Then I realize, oh Jesus, come quickly. Because he may not make it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, the character of Christ can be formed in us over time. As you learn to follow him, as you learn to walk with him, as you learn to listen to his voice, as he convicts you, as he guides you, he's forming the character of Christ. You know, one of the, the most joyous yet painful things that happens on Saturday mornings for me is that I cook breakfast for my kids. It's a big thing. Uh, my, my mom, growing up, she would always take my sister and I to this diner in Sunset Park. And so it's just a thing. On Saturdays, they try to recreate that in a small way. Uh, I love doing it, except that they now ask to help me. And so I know the moment that they say, Daddy, can we help? It means we're eating breakfast at lunch. Because it takes time, more time, to say, no, you don't stir it that way. Oh, it's okay, the eggs are on the floor. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, pancake batter is meant to be born in the air. You know, yeah, of course, throw it at your sister. The patience that it takes. But what I've seen over time is that what, what came like, I have to constantly monitor, now they could do stuff on their own. They get it. The most liberating moment in my parenthood thus far, I have a nine-year-old, six-year-old, three-year-old, is when they said, Daddy, could you get me water? And I said, you get it. <laughs> you don't understand. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm done parenting. I've done it. You will never thirst. You know where it's at. You don't got to depend on me. You got it. What happens over time as we follow the spirit, we begin to develop the muscles, the reaction, the culture of Jesus, his character. I'll never forget the first time I realized 
that it was possible for the Spirit to change my heart in a profound way. I was a young kid. I came to Christ when I was 14, and there was a bunch of us. There was about 30 of my friends that came to Christ at the same time. Uh, our church had been praying and fasting for quite a bit that young people would come to Christ in our neighborhood. God answered that prayer in a dramatic way. There was this one guy who we'll call him Alex for the sake of his identity. I hated Alex. Now, I know for some of you, you just finished singing, it's your breath in my life. You're really holy. You don't hate anybody. But if you could indulge me and actually put yourself in my place, imagine what it would be like to hate somebody, right? Just mentally. Again, I know none of you hate anybody. I hated Alex. Alex, my mother wasn't a Christian at that time. In my mother's words, she said, that is the most arrogant human being I've ever seen. And my mother's a Puerto Rican mother, and we have funny gestures. She would be like, I don't know. I, don't you have to be humble to follow Jesus? You know, like she would just like throw her hands up when she would see him. She's like, I don't know. It, he was so arrogant. People would walk into church and he would insult them, not even knowing. It's like, oh, wow, you're looking fat today. No, no kidding. Imagine that in Sunset Park. The stuff he would say. Some of you are like, I kind of like Alex. No, Alex is not a hero in this story. Don't like Alex. You don't understand the awkward feeling of being in worship seeing Alex walk in and feeling my spine tense up because I was looking for the moment to tear him down. Again, I know none of you go through this. I know none of you premeditate answers in case I wish they would say something. I know none of you plan these things out. I was. I was like, man, if he says this, I'm going to say that. I was ready to tear him up until I realized, Chris, you can't reconcile how you feel about Alex with how Jesus feels about you. And Chris, I know you don't want to think about this, but Jesus is fully in love with Alex. So that would convict me. So I went on a journey where every night I would pray for Alex. I would pray and forgive him. I would ask God to forgive me. I would pray asking God to bless him. I didn't want to feel this way. I knew it wasn't God's will. I did that for weeks, weeks, and just kept doing it. No change that I could notice until one morning I woke up and I felt genuine love for Alex, the kind of love that I would get in front of a bus for him. And I knew it was supernatural. I was like, oh, my God, I love him actually want to be his brother. I reached out to him. I said, hey, let's hang out later today. We hung out. I gave him the biggest hug. He had no idea where it was coming from. He didn't know how close he got to getting smacked. He did not know. <laughs> God saved him. <laughs> to this day, he doesn't know how, how much he cheated death. <laughs> but from that moment on, I realized that whenever I see a, la a gap between the character of God and my character, I can pray and interact with the Holy Spirit, and I can go on a journey where he begins to purge me, prune me, and bear the character of Christ in my soul. Perhaps you can relate right now. Perhaps you are in a season of life where you realize there are desires, habits, impulses in my life that are my character that are not God's will. The Holy Spirit living in us comes to change us, to bear Christ-like character. It grieves God when we're short with people, when we're rude, 
when we're bitter, when we're unforgiving. It grieves God when we're racist. It grieves God when we're elitist. It grieves God when we're arrogant. It grieves God when we're greedy, when we're filled with fear to the point that we would crush people. It grieves him. The good news is the spirit living in us has come to bear Christ-like character in us. How is the Holy Spirit coming to you right now? As I've been speaking, some of you can feel the knock of the Spirit. You feel it. You know, mm, he wants to touch that area. He wants to form Christ-like character there. L look at this verse. It's so powerful. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. It says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The power of the Holy Spirit Bearing Christ-like character in us is so powerful that it has the ability to touch the greatest drive in the human life, our sexual drive. And it has the power to actually bring that under the control of Christ, and it transforms our mortal body to now we become temples of the living God. You realize that if you are a follower of Jesus and the Spirit lives in you, wherever you go, God goes. When you step into that coffee shop, God just stepped into that coffee shop. When you step into that boardroom, God just stepped into that boardroom. When you walk the streets of your neighborhood, God is walking the streets of your neighborhood, localized in your body. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And this is where with the verse that we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says these profound words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Spirit living in us is not just to change our character. He lives in us that he might live through us. The intention of God to fill humanity with himself was that we might be empowered and bold and witnesses to the resurrection. The reason why the Spirit fills you and I is that we might be powerful testifiers of the risen Jesus. See, Spirit-filled people, you know they're Spirit-filled because they constantly focus on Jesus. They constantly point to him. They constantly want to lift him up before people. In fact, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit transforms us, if we go to John 14, verse 26, it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is constantly bringing us back to Jesus. He's constantly reminding us of the words of Jesus, of the person of Jesus, keeping us centered on him so that while he lives in us, he can live through us and empower us to witness to testify. See, boring Christianity doesn't line up scripturally. If you're bored with your faith, it's because you're underutilizing your faith. Because the Spirit of God lives in you and I, the believer, to empower us to boldly preach Jesus in supernatural ways. The Holy Spirit is empowering you and I that we might boldly testify to who Jesus is. 
and he backs that word and that message up with power. See, what the world needs is not just a clear presentation of the gospel. They desperately need that, but they need a demonstration of undeniable power. The faith that you and I are invited to is not just some cerebral thing. You are invited to inhabit the power of the living God. That through your words, through your acts of kindness, through your bold prayers, people would know that there is a kingdom on this earth that is not of this earth, that is from heaven, and that you are its representative. Now, some of you are weirded out at the thought of preaching. You think that the Holy Spirit empowering you means that you have to get up on a train station and, and during a morning commute and ruin everybody's morning commute. I mean, preach. And so you, you think that that's what that means. And you're like, I don't want to sign up for that. No. It means your character, your personality, how you are, naturally supernatural. Just how you are. But anointed of God. And use of God to point people to Jesus. And the good news about the fact that your testimony of Jesus doesn't depend on your winsomeness and your cleverness and your gifts, but it's contingent on his power, is that you can testify about Jesus even when you're weak. If you're waiting to be, have everything all together before you testify about Jesus, you will die and you will never testify about Jesus because you will never have it all together. In your brokenness, God can testify to the risen Jesus through your life if you're empowered by the Spirit. I'll never forget there was this one day. See, you guys have it easy. I have it easy now in that you and I can carry our Bibles and our phones. But I remember a day where if you wanted to carry a Bible, it was like a scud missile. It was massive. Where you couldn't hide it. People knew. Oh, Christian. You know like. They knew, it was like, ah, religious person, because you were carrying this massive thing. I remember leaving church one Sunday, and I was going through a really bad season. So I went into church depressed, and church was really good, so I left discouraged. It was a slight improvement. And so, <laughs> but that's just the season I was in. As I'm walking down the street, I'll never forget, there's this guy, and he says, hey, talk to me about God. I did not want to talk to him about God. He said, how could you, Chris? You know, kind of similar how you did. No, I'm just sorry. And so, oh, I went there, right? I went there. So I didn't want to talk to him. I wasn't in a good place. I was like, oh. But I couldn't deny it. I couldn't be like, what about who God? You know, he saw it. He saw the Bible. So I go over to him. I start talking to him. All of a sudden, this guy starts weeping. He's like, I need God in my life. And then this lady comes from across the street. And she says, hey, what's going on? She thought, like, maybe I was beating him with the big Bible, you know. It's like, so I'm telling you, I'm not even in a good place at this moment. I'm like, well, it appears he's convicted of his sin. I think God's moving on his heart, you know. And she says, I need God too. She starts crying. I'm like, what the flip is going on? And so I'm like, both of you get on your knees, you know. And, and so we're in the middle, 48th Street and 4th Avenue. And, and they're, they're there. I'm leading them to Christ. I'm like, afterwards, I was like, what the heck just happened? I wasn't in a good place. Clearly, I didn't even want to talk to the guy about Jesus. But despite that, recently, I was interacting with a police officer uh, in my neighborhood. 
And he had some really awkward words. He came over to me, and, and he knows I'm a pastor, and he says, how's the evangelical business going? I was like, what? Like, there's kids around, so I was like, what the flip? And so I was like, first off, so I was like, I was like, you're, in my mind, I had a lot of reactions. I had a lot of responses. Like, first off, buddy, you're not in a position as a police officer these days to throw shade on my profession. So I wanted to say a lot of different things, but somehow, God help me, somehow. I was like, well, you know, I don't consider what I do a business. I, I consider what I do a calling. And since you're asking, thankfully, the church is doing really well. Walked away. I didn't see him for a while. And recently, I saw him again. And he came over and he said, hey, man. I wanted to apologize. Now, this is the awkward part. I had to act like I didn't know what he was talking about, but I knew what he was talking about. I was like, apologize about what? And, 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 and then I was like, ah, oh, Chris, stop playing. So I was like, oh, you mean the evangelical business comment? And, and uh, he says, yeah, you know, the last several weeks, I realized that I've missed an opportunity to know God in my life, that he's drawn me. And I've resisted it. I've opened the Bible for the first time ever. I'd love to meet with you and talk. I, I was floored. And all I could think of was, thank God I didn't come out of my face. Thank God I didn't tell him off. The Holy Spirit can empower you to witness, not just by what you say, but by what you don't say. By him sitting on your tongue. And letting people realize there's something different about you and I. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. I'll never forget my mom. She, she was super skeptical of when I became a Christian. She thought I'd join a cult for a bit. Because um, you got to understand, I was a teenager. I was in the streets um, smoking weed, selling drugs here and there. And from one day to the next, I'm following Jesus. I'm walking around with a Bible. She was grateful but scared. You know, that was around the time Waco, Texas, if you know your history. It was like, you know, she was just always afraid I was going to drink some Kool-Aid or something. And uh, so I remember this one night, my mom used to suffer with ulcers really, really bad. And I used to keep her up at night. One night I told her, hey, mom, can I pray for you? And she says, sure. And she had such great faith that God would heal her that she fell asleep before I even started praying. And so she, she had no faith. <laughs> fell right asleep. I go and lay hands on her, and as I lay hands on her, she screams. She's like, ah! She's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, she was like, why would you put an iron on me? I'm like, mom, an iron? She's looking all around. She's persuaded that I burned her with an iron. I'm like, mom, why would I do that? She's looking all around. She's like, Bobby, what was that? It's like, I believe God touched you. From that moment on, she didn't have any pain. She was healed. We were able to have serious spiritual conversations because from that moment on, she realized my son doesn't believe in a fairy tale. He believes in a risen Jesus that's anointing his people and is powerful. You have the same authority, the same power. What emboldens me to do that is not because I'm a pastor. What emboldens me to do that is because the spirit lives in me. If you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit lives in you to change you and to empower you. I feel God right now wanting to minister to us. Could I invite us to stand?
And if you feel comfortable doing so, could I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment? Come, Holy Spirit. If you feel comfortable, can I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? For us, when we raise our hands, it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of receiving. And right now, the living God is inviting people that don't follow him to come and know him. Your life will never be the same when the Spirit of God lives in you. Will you have struggles? Absolutely. Will you suffer? Absolutely. But will you be empowered like you never have been? You have no idea. The living God living inside of you. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal the glories of Jesus to your soul if you don't know Christ. Today we want to invite you to come and know him, to surrender your life to him. But today, if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps you have sensed the Spirit knock on your heart aggressively this morning, letting you know that there's fruit that he wants to bear in you, that there's character, Christ-like character that he wants to form in you. And right now, some of us are feeling immensely convicted. That's the Spirit right now convicting you of pride, of jealousy, of, of, of all these various things, saying, that's not my character. I want to put Christ's character in you. Right now, let's let the Holy Spirit begin to toil the ground of our hearts so that he can plant the seeds of Christ-like character in us. But there's also a stirring in many of our hearts right now with our hands raised. You have begun to imagine yourself as an anointed follower of Jesus put here on this earth to proclaim, to testify to the risen Jesus. Some of you are realizing, I have underutilized faith, underutilized resources. I'm anointed and I'm not using it the way I've been called to. I have been given a message of reconciliation and I'm anointed to declare it. And right now with your hands raised, the Spirit of God is filling you, filling you filling you. Come on, can we lift up our voice to the living God right now and begin to cry out to God. If you're saying here, I need the Spirit to transform my character, begin to cry out to the Spirit even now. Convict us. Transform us. Bring us to our knees before you that we might look like you and be like you, Jesus. Right now, some of you are being stirred as you think of your co-workers, your family members, your neighborhood people that walk past you, that are living lives, that are Christless, that have Jesus nowhere near. And God has anointed you that you might testify to the risen Jesus. Jesus, we cry out to you. With our hands raised and our voices lifted, Let's sing to the Lord. Let's cry out to God as the worship team leads us. The Spirit is moving here. I'm going to be in the front. There's leaders here. If you would like prayer, if you feel comfortable doing so, if you want to come down, 
from your seats and come in the front. I would love to pray with any of you regarding any of these things that we've touched on as well as the leaders. Let's seek God together for the next several moments. The Spirit of God is here and He's moving and He's ministering powerfully. Let's lift up our voice. Your prayer. 